0: ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Foxworth has a new podcast every Tuesday and Thursday, bringing his unique perspectives on football, the personalities surrounding it, and just about anything else he finds interesting or thinks you might find interesting. So check out The Dominique Foxworth Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on Monday night. It's media day. Everyone is optimistic, and even some, not all, some... Normally, reputable, hard-hitting outlets have one day of temporary amnesia where they forget that words spoken on ceremony do not matter and they come away from media day raving about people's performances at the press. What a performance by Sean Marks and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving at the press. Boy, they, they were polished. It was a great performance at the press conference as if any of that matters. And Nick Friedel, you were at... One of the best media days, the biggest media days, the most anticipated media days at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn with the Nets coming off a summer that Kyrie Irving called a cluster <laughs> and trying to reorient around a big three of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons to pursue their goal of an NBA title, the goal they were favored to win one year ago at this time before it all went haywire. And very importantly, we have to start here. The most important development of Optimistic Media Day of everyone being so good at the podium as if that means a flying you-know-what on the court was Kyrie Irving's declaration that you, Nick Friedel, <laughs> you will be Kyrie Irving's best friend by the time the season is over. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like you have anything in common? Like like something to really wedge in there and, and start the friendship? And what has, in all
1: seriousness, what has the last, like, six hours since he said that uh, been like for you? It's been awesome because the buddy cop movie that has a chance to make it, Mr. Lowe, is going to be fantastic. There's got to be room on ESPN Plus for a buddy cop, true detective series with Kyrie and I just rolling through the streets and seeing what's happening. But as soon as he said it, (laughs) my My buddies were sending me the you're my best friend and all the all the videos that uh, that go with it. It was it was quite the moment, given how many times he and I went back and forth last season, usually about the vaccination stuff. But everybody in good spirits at Nets Media Day, I had to laugh because on top of my newfound friendship with Kyrie that will certainly only grow throughout the year. I'm getting ready to go on the Malika show and I'm standing there and I'm waiting for the camera to turn on and Sean Marks walks by and Sean has a smile on his face. And I, I look at him and I say, Sean, you made it. And he goes, Oh, you did too. <laughs> we started laughing and he said, here we go. So I think everybody, as far, as far as the Nets are concerned, just wanted to get through the day without having anything, too crazy happened, but then, Zach, we say that, and Kyrie acknowledges that prior to the start of last season, so two summers ago, the Nets, in his eyes, made him an ultimatum that Mark's pushed back on, but he said if he had gotten the vaccination, they would have given him four years, $100-plus plus million He said no, the city mandate went into effect, and it all just kind of faded away, but that was – a, an honest answer from a guy now who he may get another max deal, but to give that up based on how strongly he felt about that shot tells you where he stood and where he continues to stand on it.
0: Yeah. And he, and he also, during Kyrie's uh, media availability yesterday talked, someone asked him, did you really consider leaving the Nets in, in the off season before you, before you opted in? Did you, think about opting out and even signing for the mid-level exception and he paused and he said yeah i had options i had options not very many because of the uh i think he called it a stigma yeah of uncertainty that surrounds him as if the uncertainty just sort of appeared from thin air for no reason and enveloped him in a fog of uncertainty that, that there was a stigma about that he would maybe not be available to his team. When even prior to the vaccination thing, he left the Nets for two weeks the the, the season before without really explaining why. And, and, and then, of course, he opted in. And then he said something like, I felt like it was the, the best option for me. Best and only... Maybe our synonyms in, the, in this case. Yeah, it was. It was making $36 million this, for this season was the best option for you. Um, and, and then we had – there was just a lot. There was a lot. A there lot. was a lot today, Nick. There's, There's always was a, lot. a lot
1: with this damn team. Always. It, it never stops. I, I, I mean, there are any number of ways that we can start, but what I thought was fascinating was Sean Marks sat there at the end of April couple weeks after the season ended they got swept by the Celtics and he said we need to get our culture back we need to build it back we need to have players who are committed here and we need to everybody be on the same page (laughs) and we're sitting here at the end of September and I asked Sean hey what's different about the culture now and (laughs) I'm not even sure how he addressed it but he tiptoed around it because what else are you going to say but the reality is There wasn't much talk about a championship. It was more, hey, let's just get all out on the floor and and see what happens. So the, the tenor was far, far different than it has been for this team in a while.
0: Yes, very soon the Brooklyn Nets presented by the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company will be a real team. A real basketball team on the court, and not a theoretical construction on a whiteboard. And here was the high—you you highlighted this from Sean Marks today about Kyrie. He's committed. He understands. In order to get what he wants in free agency, he's going to have to show commitment out here. We're going to see a very determined Kyrie. So here's the thing, Nick. The Nets, the Nets top eight is really, really good. By position, loosely, it's Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Joe Harris, Royce O'Neal, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Nick Claxton. That's before you get to TJ Warren, a very promising signing who, as they said today, is not ready for, to start playing yet. It's before you get to some of the young guys like Kessler Edwards and Cam Thomas. It's before you get to De'Ron Sharp, the recently signed uh, Markeith Morris. Utah Watanabe, who I think has a shot to make this team among among some of their other guys, is before you get to any of those, those, that's the top eight. That's really good. Boston, not long ago the presumed favorite or at least co-favorite with Milwaukee, reeling from internal chaos. Little Philly, amazing, going to win a lot of games. Can you trust them in a big, 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 big spot? Maybe. I made the case for Philly last week. There's an opening here for the Nets to actually seriously become a real threat to win the east and we can talk about the lineups they can play how they can play Simmons at center and whether they're going to lean all the way there at the opening tip of the opening game uh, I think the lineup frankly of Kyrie Harris O'Neal Durant Simmons has really really interesting potential I mean offensively it's going to be off the charge defensively you have three really two Durant is a seven footer, Simmons is a defensive unicorn, Royce O'Neal is a really good wing defender, Joe Harris is a little smaller than those guys, but stout and solid on defense, and then Kyrie you just have to figure it out. He's big and strong too, and he and, and is an okay defender when he tries. That lineup has enormous potential. Um and so really you can look at this Nets team and and see two very different outcomes and This this Nets team doesn't do anything halfway. There are no half measures. Outcome number one is all the stuff that's there on paper, on the whiteboard, coalesces. Ben Simmons is healthy. He buys into a Draymond role. Um, He and Claxton even find ways to play together here and there, even though they're going to be probably separated most of the time. Some of the young guys pop and here they come. This is the team everybody feared. This is the team in the wake of the Harden Simmons trip. Oh boy, the pieces really really could fit here. The piece, yeah, the Harden thing was a disaster and it ended horribly. And boy oh boy, all those picks are out the door, but they recouped a couple. The pieces fit. They still have some picks to play with on the trade market, maybe, if if they want to upgrade midseason. This could be a real true blue contender. Kevin Durant Kevin Durant ranked eighth in NBA. Did anyone ask him about that? About NBA rank? No, but it's only a matter of time. Because I I understand why, right? Like, he he missed a bunch of games. He's missed a bunch of games with the Nets. And uh, he's aging, and nobody knows what to make of this team this season. Kevin Durant's not the eighth-best player in the NBA. Kevin Durant might be the second-best player in the NBA. And on some nights, he still might be the best player in the NBA. So that's outcome number one. Outcome number two is by Thanksgiving, Durant is asking to be traded. The Kyrie situation is, I mean— I'm not going to get into the stuff on the Twitter account in the last couple weeks. Did not exactly reaffirm my faith in Kyrie Irving's reliability as a teammate. Um, Simmons is still afraid to get fouled. And the specter of Kyrie's looming free agency and the very obvious threat of the Lakers and the comments that Sean Marks made about Kyrie's got to earn our commitment, that all of that combines to just blow this team up 25 games into the season. Would you bet on disintegration Or cohesion, Nick Friedel.
1: Disintegration. Here's why. I lived through the last six months of this past season. Zach, I sat there all day at media day. And all I kept thinking at the end was, this has the feel of when the parents decide to get divorced. They decide to get divorced, and then they make a U-turn, and they want to do what's best for the family, and ah, we're going to find a way to make it work, and we're only going to look ahead. But there was too much drama behind the scenes to just forget about, and that is what scares me. It's not that the talent isn't there. If Kevin, Kyrie, and Ben stay healthy and are on the floor, the Nets are going to be really good, you would think but there is that part of camaraderie that has been missing for this team for a long time. And KD, he was pretty open about why he felt the way he did heading into the summer. He said, look, I had doubts. We weren't being held accountable. We weren't uh, playing at the level of a championship contender. I I did have to chuckle a little bit when he said that he wanted to find a, a stable environment because I had plenty of my friends out there in the base. And if Kevin wanted a stable environment, why the hell was he leaving maybe the most stable environment in the league with the Warriors? That's aside the point right now. If it's me and I'm betting that the Nets can make this work all year long and that they will remain tied together when something bad happens, I would not make that bet given what we've just seen. I do
0: sometimes think, not to go off on an aside the what if of the vaccination and the pandemic is one thing. I mean, that's a, that is a black swan event. Hopefully, it's a black swan event. If it becomes a regular swan event, we're all. But if hopefully it's a black swan event, I think back to that hard and hamstring tweak in the Milwaukee series, and and just wonder. I I'll be thinking about that for a long time because I've said it before. As as bananas as this all has been as combustible as all those personalities were from the jump as much culture and draft equity and future and as many karis leverts and jared allens and spencer dinwiddie's were sacrificed at the altar of star power to make that team they were so good and so terrifying that i really think they were going to be easily the best team of the league last year and then it went and then starting with that hardened hamstring the wheels began to fall off but that's neither here nor there. I asked you a question, so I owe it to you to answer my own question. I would bet on disintegration. I don't trust it. I can't trust it. How could you trust it? And I, I we could go into all the obvious reasons why you can't trust it. Kyrie's free agency being one of them. Simmons hasn't played in, I, I don't even know how many months now. Is it 16, 15 We're months? we almost to a, lo- a year and a half. We're getting closer yeah. to a year and a half and i do think he's going to be a great fit on this team i also know that he shot 34% from the line in the playoffs the last time we saw him and if you're afraid to get fouled then i just don't really care about the other stuff that much when when it's when it's really time to go i mean he's going to put up numbers he's a great player durant i, I durant durant had that moment today where then he took issue with it on twitter afterwards where he said if you have any doubts about me that's on you or some such thing. I mean, I have the video cued up here. I'm not going to play it or, or recite it, but some, something to the effect of, if you have any doubts about me, that's on you. My initial response to that was, actually, it's it's on you, I think, because you requested a trade. And then when it didn't work out, you basically took a blowtorch to everyone in the brain trust and said, I want them all gone. And then that didn't work. And now you're on the team. But I actually think if you go back and watch the clip and the reason he maybe he's mad on Twitter is I think he's talking about his day-to-day commitment to the team, yes, his day-to-day exactly playing right. and practicing, and saying if you have any doubts on that, that's on you. And he's exactly right. Because through all of this, when healthy, that dude has played. And he's played every second that they've asked him to play at absolute full throttle on both ends of the floor, to the point that he couldn't even come out of playoff games against the Bucks for one second, and played every second of those last two games and was incredible in them. Um, but I just... I can't trust it. I just can't trust it. I don't trust it. And with the competition at this level and with everything they've been through, it just feels like one obstacle could undo whatever goodwill has been temporarily sewn up here. So look, would it shock me if they won the title? I mean, a little bit, yeah. Yes, but would it would, yes, would, yes. would it really would it would it shock me if they made the conference finals and maybe eked into the finals? No, but I, I'm I'm betting on disintegration. And if you told me this team is done by Christmas, I wouldn't be surprised. If you told me Durant has reiterated his trade request by Christmas, I wouldn't be surprised. And that's what I'm to, to be clear and put myself on the record. Of those two outcomes, I'm betting on disintegration. There's a middle outcome where they're just a run of the mill good team, and they all. And there's a some breakup of some kind at the end of the year. That's probably the most likely outcome.
1: The point about Harden's hamstring and what they might have been, Zach, is important and it's very well taken, because they all understood during those times just how great they were. If they stay healthy, <laughs> I mean, there are people in the organization that are like, that, that, that title was ours. It was done. He got hurt. Things happened. The point about the Nets' belief in themselves, though, is crucial here. Because I'll take you back to about two weeks after I got on the beat earlier this year. Yeah,
0: the Grim Reaper descends from the latest team. The latest team that happened to fall apart upon his presence. Here comes the Grim Reaper, Fidel. Where are you going? (laughs) Have you plotted your next... Have you plotted your next destination? If Durant requests a trade by Christmas, let me see. The Pistons seem like a nice up-and-coming team.
1: <laughs> why, don't I, why don't I fly out and ruin that team? I just I, if it's really going to go down like that, I'd like it for for it to go down in Miami. It, there's there are a lot of worse places to be than around the Heat, who always handle themselves professionally and in Miami, Florida, for a while. So that's that's my hope. But aside from that... Okay, you heard it
0: here first. Watch out, Heat fans. If Miami, you see Friedel walking around South Beach,
1: <laughs> you, see him, you see him at the Clevelander with Levitard batting down uh, the hatches. Really people are like, is that your uncle? <laughs> They're always asking me if, if I'm related to Levitard somehow uh, because of uh, just how, how great we look, I guess. But the part about the the two weeks in with the Nets is important because they played that game in Chicago. They absolutely friggin dominated the bulls. That was when the bulls were like number one in the East. Everybody's like, oh, they've, they've turned things around. Here they come. Kevin Kyrie and James Harden completely annihilated that team. And they walked into the press conferences after that game. And it was like, Hey, we're back this thing is over with. If we stay together and Kyrie's with us, we're going to knock everybody out. And a couple of days later, Kevin hurt his knee. A couple weeks after that, Harden completely checked out, and they were fried. And Zach, the belief that that team has now, that they were the best and that they could beat anybody, it's not there. And whether or not it comes back in this weird year after the the craziest summer that we've seen for a team in a while, I I don't know. Again, I'm with you. I wouldn't bet on it. But that is so important for any great team, not just the camaraderie you have to have, but the belief in each other. These guys don't know Simmons. They've practiced with him for a week now, and everybody's saying, oh, he looks great. Okay, cool. Well, tell me about that in January or February. and Tell me about that when the season has gotten tough for him And the shots aren't going down, and he's not able to play at that same high level we've grown accustomed to seeing him in at times in Philly. So there are so many different outliers with this group. But I can just tell you, having been around them day after day since January, the belief that they had that they could do it, it's not there right now, and it would have to grow over the next year to make it happen again. And that's where I don't see it happening for this team, given all the other things they've been through. For the
0: ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by.
1: Two guys drove to work,
0: neither guy wore a seatbelt, one guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Let's talk about the team itself. To me, the biggest question about the Brooklyn Nets going into the season is... uh, Let me take... The the biggest question other than than all the questions. The biggest question other than all the questions uh, is can Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton play together? And if not, can Brooklyn defend well enough to compete with the best teams? Because I think they're probably going to debate between two starting lineups. Kyrie, Joe Harris, Durant, Simmons, Claxton, or that same lineup with Royce O'Neal in sim in claxton's place that lineup with royce new that i mentioned before that's going to be their best lineup that's going to be i think their crunch time lineup um their closing lineup but it's if if simmons and claxton because they're both non-shooters to put it politely i mean claxton might be a better shooter than simmons frankly um it probably is um if they can't play together then you have major questions about your defense, because, as good as that switchable lineup is, it's small. It may struggle on the glass where the Nets were thirtieth in defensive rebounding last year, and you can't win anything if you're the worst rebounding team in the league. You just can't. Um, it's just it's 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 gonna be they're gonna score like gangbusters. and I'm just interested to see can that lineup defend well enough. And remember with the with the Blake Griffin group, they they defended through smoke and mirrors. they defended well enough a couple seasons ago to win in the playoffs if their offense performed. And I I just I want to see it with that group because I think that group can be solid defensively. I am pessimistic on Simmons and Claxton as a pairing. Wouldn't surprise me if the Nets tried it to open the season as their starting five. And even if you don't, you know, you you can bring Claxton off the bench early in games and try to get him in. I just don't I'm not optimistic about those two playing together and if I were the coach, I think I would just write from Jump Street, lean all the way into Simmons at center and just say, this is how we're going to play. This is how we're going to do it. Claxton, you're going to come off the bench. You're still going to play a lot. You, we're going to spot you some minutes even with Simmons here and there, but you're going you're, you're, you're to come off the bench and be our sixth man or seventh man or eighth man, and and we're going all in on that style, and I, I like that lineup a lot. The other issue they have is Kyrie. three of their top eight are small guards in Kyrie, Curry, and Patty. You can't play all three of them together. And against the best teams, you probably even can't even play two of them together for super-duper extended minutes. But to me, it comes down to simmons Claxton. Does it work? Do they even try? And if it doesn't and they don't,
1: can they defend well enough to compete with the very best? Mr. Lowe, what you just described is why I would be concerned. Not that the Nets would win in the regular season and build themselves back up a little bit in the win-loss column, but are they going to win the playoffs? Right now with this team, not only are there a lot of question marks up and down the roster, but another huge part of this in the context of Claxon is he couldn't hit a free throw at the end of the season to save his life. Remember those games against the Celtics? He's talking at Media Day about how he changed his form and how he's doing what's better for him, and he's gotten more comfortable. You cannot play a, a big man especially – who doesn't want to go to the line and get hammered down low. So if you don't have that, you can run any Simmons lineup out there that you want. But how is that lineup, assuming that you plug Royce O'Neal in there, going to last from the start of the postseason all the way to the finish? So Sean Marks could always make a move. You never know who gets bought out and all that kind of stuff t- towards the end of the year or once we get into it more. but those questions about the size are gigantic. And in this case, if you're leaning on Ben Simmons, who hasn't played in almost a year and a half, you're leaning on him to play in a position that he hasn't seen that much of on a team that is already going to try and hide his weaknesses as best they can.
0: I I looked at them as a Jay Crowder team. I'm going to do the Jay Crowder trade landscape briefly in a minute uh, with Bobby Marks, but I, I didn't see a deal that I really thought made a ton of sense. Um, but look, I mean, the good thing about the O'Neal Durant Simmons trio. Let's just zoom in on that O'Neal Durant Simmons. Simmons becomes your apex defender. And by the way, he and Giannis have a really fun rivalry. People have forgotten it because it seems so long ago that Philly Milwaukee looked like it was going to be a thing. They remember they had one game where they traded dunks and they were trash talking at each other. Oh yeah, it was. It's a cool. It's a cool little rivalry within a rivalry kind of deal. Royce O'Neal and Simmons. At least, at the very least, Durant can get through the season and even through some playoff series if they get there without having to guard the best guy on the other team because it's mm-hmm. just, he just can't do that. You can't ask him to do everything anymore. And at least now defensively with those two, look, to beat Boston, to beat Milwaukee, you need two elite wing defenders. In Simmons, they have one. and Durant, they have another. And in O'Neal, they have a very good one. They don't have to overburden uh, Durant. Simmons, Claxton... I think the only way that lineup survives offensively, even with all the shooting and talent around it, is if they get out and run like hell, and and they score in transition, so they don't have to face set half-court defenses. I'm just sort of that you can get by with that in the regular season because they'll have Durant, Irving, and whoever else around them. The talent is so substantial. I just I kind of want them to just go full blast. We're playing Simmons at center. This is our identity. We're going to spend the whole season honing it. And that's it, and just defensively it's just a matter of, of does it hold up? Because I think offensively, whatever combination of guards you put out there around Durant and Simmons at center with Kyrie, undersized,
1: whatever, they're going to score a hell of a lot of points. Well, here's the question I would pose back to you then, and that is forgetting for a second the whoppers of can Kevin stay healthy a and b, will Kyrie be fully committed to the team day after day after day The question then to me becomes, do you trust that Ben Simmons, who hasn't played in a year and a half, can handle the role that Steve Nash and his staff would then give him and be the type of player that they need him to be offensively to get everything moving up and down on top of then what they're going to ask of him on the defensive end?
0: I do in the sense that he's now going to be Point Simmons' in transition point Simmons orbited by shooting all around him. And in the half court, sometimes he'll be point Simmons, I guess, although everyone will just go 10 feet under screens and he won't get anywhere. And he can still make hay out of that because he's so big and strong. You give him space. It's just a runway for him. But more often, I think he'll be screen setting Simmons, dribble handoff, Simmons quarterback, keeper, Simmons, Draymond Simmons. And he can do that. I think with shooting around him, he can do that. Um, and without any other big man in the dunker spot, he's got more more room to work with in that role. It, still, the getting fouled thing looms. And, and the Hawks series was not, not uh, an aberration. The Hawks series was the end or the nadir of a trend of Ben Simmons gradually diminishing in playoff series the further they got into the playoffs. It was not a one-year thing. It was year after year. The further they got, the lesser his role was, and it's one thing to have a, a, a role that's less than Kevin Durant and Kyrie And That's fine. It's another thing to just do nothing on a lot of half-court possessions, and they and they can't have that. But as far as him doing that role offensively, I think he will. I think he will give them enough in that role. It's just in the playoffs,
1: it's it becomes a different thing. You don't have a lot of margin for error. It's the thing that scares me, though, Zach, because it, it brings the, our conversation full circle in that everybody's sitting there after media day saying, oh, Ben Simmons seems like he's in a really good place. And he answered the questions well, and, and he, he did a nice job on J.J. Reddick's podcast and everything. Why do,
0: why do we do this every media day every where, time. We, where, we, where we bring, everyone
1: brainwashes themselves into thinking
0: that a press conference is a game? Like he did really well. He did really well up there. Or he he was only kind of a below average performer. It doesn't matter. Who cares? It, It literally
1: doesn't matter. It has zero impact whatsoever on the win loss record of whatever your favorite team is. Nothing. And this is the part that I keep coming back to having watched the whole Simmons experience unfold in Brooklyn those last few months. I understand that he was going through back issues. I understand, and he discussed it a little bit more, that he was dealing with a lot of mental health stuff. He had a lot going on. The difference to me is that with Kevin Durant, you have always known, no matter what was going on off the floor, and this is what he was talking about in his own press conference, he was going to bring it every single day. You knew that he would put in the work to be the best player or one of the best players in the league all the time. With Kyrie, there were a plenty of different issues last year, but you knew the talent was always there. And while he might fight coaches on the, the schedule or when he wanted to put in the work, you knew that he had the love of the game and would do what it took at least most of the time to still be one of the best players in the game. What would scare me if you're a Nets fan based on Simmons' time in Philly and what we saw as he tried to ramp up a little bit more early in his Brooklyn tenure. Is he willing to put in that work day after day, game after game, to be one of the best players in the league? And that is what I'm trying to find out with him heading into the season because he can answer the questions any way he wants now. And Sean Marks and Steve Nash can talk about all they want. Ben's looking good. Oh, man, we're going to be scary when we're all healthy and we don't really care. We don't really care anymore
0: that Durant tried to get us fired. Yeah, who cares? It's that's all cool. Done. Like,
1: forgive and forget. <laughs> it really it – who, who
0: hasn't – Who
1: hasn't had that happen to them? The, the perfect tagline for the 2022 Brooklyn Nets summer was exactly what Kyrie said, a cluster <laughs> <laughs> Now, look, pe- any people better. think – People think, look, I voted
0: Simmons third-team All-NBA in 2020 in the bubble season. I picked the Nets to win the championship last year, like emphatically. Yeah. So I don't want to hear how unfair and all this. And I and I will still say I think the most likely outcome is they're just a good team that's not good enough or maybe even a very good team that's not good enough, and then the offseason brings more drama. If you're asking me between it, to just forget that one and pick between – oh my God, it all came together and oh my God, it all blew up. I'm going, oh my God, it all blew up. But it's not like I, I hate the team. and it just it, It's a good team. We'll see what happens. I will say to your to your earlier point, TJ Warren's a wild card mm-hmm. that could change this team if his foot and his body allow him to. That's an obvious one. The other thing is they do have a 2027 Sixers pick and they have access to – an unprotected nets pick now in either 2028 or 2029 they can pick one and as you know teams view those distant out an unprotected an unprotected pick for this team in 2028 or 2029 that's right up there with whatever unprotected stuff the lakers can pedal try and help their team if you if things are going well enough with all of your wings and guards that you can take one of those salaries joe harris's is the biggest at 186 cobbled together O'Neal with something else, and throw both those picks in, you'll be able to get something. I don't know what that something is. What I would dream it to be is Miles Turner or a Miles Turner-esque player who solves this entire problem of how Claxton and Simmons don't fit together, but I need shooting and shot blocking. Well, there he is uh, maybe a Wendell Carter Jr., a flyer on him. There just aren't guys like that available because those skill sets are very coveted And if they are available, there's going to be a bidding war for Miles Turner. I'm not sure that the Nets have enough to win it. But I can tell you this, with some of their contracts, like all these dudes are on good contracts. Patty Mills, Seth Curry, Claxton, O'Neal, all of them. And, And a young player and that unprotected pick, they can get into some conversations. And if they're good, if they're good, they're going to get in on some of those conversations for whatever ends up being available. Maybe it's just another player like a Harrison Barnes, I'm just making up names, another sort of tweener forward who allows you to play even sturdier five-out centerless lineups. They'll do something if they
1: are in
0: the picture
1: to win the East. Every team has ifs, but Zach Lowe, the Nets just have too many ifs to overcome to me. And that is the point to hammer home in all this. If you believe that it can all come together – and that it can all work, then you have to believe also that they'll be able to stick together when things go bad. And there is no recent history to suggest that that is what would happen. The Nets were looking great up until the first of the year, around there. They were in first place. They, they withstood the COVID outbreak. They maintained themselves with Kyrie not being there and Harden going through uh, some nagging stuff. Kevin got hurt, and the wheels completely fell apart when they tried to add Kyrie back into things. So you're telling me that, A, Kevin Durant's going to stay healthy. B, Kyrie Irving's going to be committed (laughs) to the cause of of his basketball team every day. And C, Ben Simmons, who we haven't seen play in so long, not only is going to knock off the rust really quickly, but is going to be awesome for them on both ends of the floor too many big ifs to buy what was being sold by this team
0: and i think there's to me there's just too much toothpaste out of the tube the toothpaste is is been squirted all over the mirror it's it's all over the floor you can't put it back you can't put a trade demand all the way back in the tube you can't put an ultimatum about the coach and the gm all the way back in the tube you can't put what sean marks has clearly laid out to kyrie irving uh, about commitment and what we need to see back in the tube. You can't put Kyrie Irving's looming free agency back in the tube. there's just too much stuff has been done and said for me to sit here and say, yeah, I mean, this team on paper should absolutely translate. I just don't trust it. I don't trust them to deal with any adversity. I don't trust them to really gather themselves when something goes wrong and something will go wrong. So that's, that's my take on the nets. Maybe we'll end up looking dumb, but I just, I don't, I don't, I see the talent. I see the roadmap. I see the structure. I just don't trust it to persist. And, uh, maybe they'll prove me wrong. And if they do, hell, I live very close to Brooklyn. I'd love to have a a functional New York City basketball team going deep into the playoffs. So I'm win-win either way, Nick Friedel.
1: I am too, because the soap opera that will entail with this team will be the talk of the league all year long. And the only thing that can put all that analysis and worry away is for them to win early and win a lot. And when you look at their schedule in November, they have a ton of road games. They have a a ton of different ways in which it could slide the wrong direction early. And once that occurs, I don't think that this team has the mental toughness as a group to be able to turn it back around. We'll see.
0: Uh, Well, look, You and Kyrie can talk about it at his apartment, over dinners, over drinks. Um, uh, Nick Friedel, it's always good to see you. It was great seeing you in Los Angeles having a few drinks last week, and I'll see you at Nets. I think they open with the Pelicans, right? I'll be there for opening night, maybe a preseason game or two. And uh, everybody, Kyrie Irving's new best friend, Nick Friedel, thank you, sir.
1: Always, buddy. And when the Buddy Cop series premieres, you will be there. We We need somebody to come up with a working title. That's the next step in this in this whole thing.
0: I'm gonna end the podcast before I start trying to come up with working titles that will do nothing but get me in trouble. Nick Fridel, <laughs> thank you,
1: sir. Always.
0: Oh, vivid seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring experience every pitch assist and game winning shot live and in person and the best part each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with vivid seats rewards score unbeatable perks like free tickets surprise seat upgrades ooh, and annual birthday deals as the official ticketing partner of espn vivid seats is offering you 20 dollars off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name and the name of this podcast. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. All right, let's take a little interlude, a Jay Crowder-themed interlude. Very brief, very brief Jay Crowder-themed interlude because, Bobby Marks, there's a rule that I'm, uh, I'm coining now on the Low Post podcast. Are you ready for the rule? Let's go. No matter your stature in the league, and I'm a big Jay Crowder fan, wrote a whole profile of Jay Crowder during the 2021 finals. Winning follows him around, or maybe he follows winning around, or something like that. If you make a hype video, you or your social team make a hype video, hyping your own potential impending trade as you skip training camp with permission, mutual agreement from the Phoenix Suns, you get a podcast segment. I don't think I've ever seen a trade hype video before, featuring our own Brian Windhorst. Did you watch the video?
2: I didn't watch the video. I'm gonna have to.
0: <laughs> Bossman99 Twitter account, uh, man, you gotta go. I think it's legit. He tweet. It, it was some people on Suns, media people on Suns Twitter tweeted it out. It, it's, I, I. if it's not legit, then someone has made an incredible Bossman99 uh, Twitter hype video for his trade.
2: I didn't see it, no. You know, you know, you always get into that. Whenever you're going into that last year of your contract and you're one of these 32 to 33-year-old guys and they probably say, you know what? We're going to probably play Cam Johnson in front of you and your minutes are going to be decreased. You probably think, okay, how do I get out of here?
0: Yeah, so people are sort of baffled by this, and I was too because the, the Suns have had an enormous amount of success with Jay Crowder as their starting pow- power forward. Chris Paul and Devin Booker either facetimed or called him at the same time to recruit him to Phoenix. It was, was one of the big moments for him. He felt wanted. He told me like there was the difference between feeling needed and wanted those two guys getting on the phone with me. Um, and he has experienced a great deal of success there. He's become kind of a household name. There was the FJ Crowder chance in New Orleans during the playoffs, which became a T-shirt. There was the salsa dancing LeBron and the Lakers right out of the right out of the playoffs the year before. Like he, he's become sort of the role player de jour, and yet he wants out without a clear destination. And I think this is really interesting for two reasons. Number one, just what you said, the 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 indication I think that Cam Johnson is going to likely start may have started this cascading effect. No extension, right? there. I don't know if there were even talks. I don't know what you heard about that, but no extension to this date. And so Jay Crowder's unhappy and he skips trading camp. On the flip side, boy, oh boy, what a test of an organization that to put it lightly is in some form of chaos with their owner being uh, uh, suspended for a year and selling the team, an interim governor, uh, a huge tax bill that will be impacted by whatever happens here. And a player who, even if you're going to put him in a backup role, is a good player. If you're serious about winning the championship, trying to win, if you're serious about showing Chris Paul and Devin Booker that you're trying to win, you can't just like salary dump Jay Crowder to the Spurs just to save money. You can't trade him for like a completely untested 12th man and hope that guy clicks on your team. That's going to send the wrong message. So I'm fascinated by this. Uh, first so i'll just I'll just give you the floor what what interests you did you find any good trade destinations this is tricky because present for present trades are hard present for present trades where the team may be seeking a player who sit, plays a good player who plays the same position as the guy they're trading are really hard did you find anything
2: well and, and to add probably a layer three and a layer four what's even harder is you now you have a team that's for sale your owner is suspended. And you're in a kind of in a spot where you're, you're in the luxury tax and you're not really willing to take back a lot of money in a deal. So if, if there's a 12 or 13 million dollar guy out there for Crowder and that could help you, does Phoenix have permission to go out and add another seven or eight million dollars to their, to their luxury tax bill? That that's a big question. Um, let,
0: let me answer it for you based on what I've heard. I will be absolutely blown away if Phoenix adds Salary net adds in this trade. I expect them to net minus, and I will be especially blown away if they add any too much long term salary. I expect them, I expect this trade, whatever it is, to reduce their payroll. I, I could be proven wrong, I can throw this in my face, but that's my guess.
2: No, I mean, that's so you're looking at guys in that seven to eight million dollar range, or unless it's expanded and then you're adding another player. I think the other, I guess, layer four to this is that because of where they are financially next year. Like you're right. You don't want to just drop, just salary dump Jay Crowder and save luxury tax money because they're basically kind of in the same spot next year when the Johnson extension or new contract comes in, where you're not going to be a team that can go out and and go out and and spend money in free agency here. So, so when you're looking at trade scenarios for Crowder, two things that you're looking for: a, a guy that's coming back that's got early or early or full bird rights, right? So you have the ability to go out and exceed the cap to resign that free agent. And then the second thing is a player that's got some length left on his contract, so not just an expiring contract. A player that's got you know two years, fourteen million dollars, two years, fifteen million dollars on his contract. So those are that's how you're trying to fit the, the puzzle piece to, um, to to Jay Crowder. And when when we we talked that we talked we texted last night, like I said, like hey, what about Indiana, right? Like so, if you're Indiana and you're Phoenix, and it might be a little bit steep, like like a TJ McConnell, O'Shea Brissett type package as far as what in um, Phoenix would get back with with Crowder and, you know, I mean, I said a first, maybe you put two seconds in the deal. I'm right? not maybe, I'm not
0: trading a first. Yeah, I'm not maybe, trading a first and the best player in the trade.
2: Yeah, so maybe let's put two seconds in the deal. So, like, that's the type of framework where I'm looking at where you got, you got TJ's got multi-years left Um O'Shea is uh, an unrestricted free agent. He's I'm a fan, by rate. the way. I think he's yeah. a
0: sneaky good role player, but yeah, so, what? So, not exactly experienced in big situations or proven on an NBA level.
2: Yeah, so that's the kind of framework of a Crowder type deal. Um, you know, that Phoenix could should probably be looking at.
0: Let's go rapid fire through some, and I mean rapid through some teams. Yeah. The most obvious team, of course, is his old friends in Miami, uh, who loved the Jay Crowder experience, although, although not enough to keep him on the team once the Suns came in with an offer. You know, they like to tell this story about the bubble and the beginning of their bubble run, and and one of the sort of defining moments of it was Crowder and Butler, Marquette guys, going back and forth in practice. It's such a profane personal level trash talk wise that it it made people uncomfortable a little bit and then they cleared the court and played these like brutal one-on-one games for a half hour an hour until butler finally won the last one and it was they kind of valued him as the guy who would stand up to butler who fit their culture and all that the problem is Right now, they can't trade any of the guys who would make a natural salary fit. Caleb Martin just signed in free agency. Dwayne Dedman, Victor Oladipo, those guys are not tradable until December, January. Then you're looking at bigger deals where Crowder and Saric are involved, Crowder and Shamit. All of a sudden, Duncan Robinson's going out. Who's throwing in draft compensation? How much? Well, Duncan Robinson makes a lot of money. That feels like a, a tough one for now. If Jay Crowder somehow got traded to the Spurs and bought out, Miami would be the favorites, but I don't. That's a scenario that's been floated to me by multiple GMs. I don't see him doing that if he has any agency in it at all, because as you know, when you're bought out, you lose your bird rights, which are very valuable for him. Any heat deal you like before I move on to team two. No,
2: I mean, there's no, as I call them, there's no sweet spot contracts, right? There's no five and six million dollars guys except Tyler Hero because everyone else is as you said can't be traded and then you're looking at expanding the deal basically now you're adding three or four players in a deal and I'm I don't see that right now.
0: Do you have another team you want to hit before I go to my No, you go. Teams?
2: Go ahead. Yeah.
0: Uh, I tried to find a Cleveland one because I do feel like Cleveland needs another guy and particularly a guy who – now, Jay has lost some quicks on the wing defensively. He, he's kind of a 3.5, but they need that guy. Obviously, everyone has said they've got the four guys, and who's the fifth starter? Do they have the big wing that everyone needs deep into the playoffs? Is Isaac Okoro going to make enough shots, blah, blah, blah? I just couldn't find one unless you're trading out uh, Jetty Osman and and I don't know if that's a straight up trade uh there's someone throwing in seconds and if it's just one for one I'm not adding a guy to my rotation I think Jay Crowder is probably better than Jetty Osmond but but it it, it, you know Jetty Jetty when he's making shots is a solid player plus Jay Crowder uh trip through Cleveland 1.0 did not go well
2: yeah and then you're you're probably he's coming off the bench um you know what minutes is he playing is he going to be a happy camper right I mean you kind of add all those other other factors in there so I don't I don't see anything for Cleveland either.
0: Now, if Phoenix is coming up empty and the Bogdanovich trade, the uh, Utah Bogdanovich trade, now the Detroit Bogdanovich trade, that has sailed for now. That has sailed for now.
2: Well, maybe you call Detroit now.
0: Well, I think (laughs) think Detroit's going to go into the season and see what they have with this group and see if they can be frisky, which, by the way, Pistons fans, we got a preview of the Pistons coming later this week. I think they can be frisky. That's sailed for now. I don't know exactly what happened between Phoenix and Utah. They definitely talked. They definitely made some progress, and I think from what I've heard, and there's been a lot of noise out there about this player, that player. I just think it became a little too clunky, and Utah just chose a simpler, a sort of a simpler solution. So that was an obvious place to look, um, that is now gone. How about this? If they got nothing, if they're struggling, you can't have enough guys like Jay Crowder, right? Everyone needs the 3.5 guys, the t- from the 2.5 to the four. If you're Philly, do you just say, hey, would you take George Niang? Furkan Korkmaz and like three second round picks for Jay Crowder. Can you sell that to Chris Paul and Devin Booker like George Yang can make shots? Like Furkan, he's a four. Furkan Korkmaz, you know, can make shots. That that we we're still competing. I just don't know if you can sell that. If I'm if I'm the Sixers, I'm 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 making that call.
2: Yeah, I mean that's I mean you're looking at just kind of, you know, you're building up your bench now, right? So you got, you know, you know, Niang, you know, he can he could start at the four. Or if, if you know things go south with Cam where he can come off the bench, Corkmus can make shots. If one of your minimum guys, because you just signed a bunch of the Damian Lee's, the Josh Koji, those players. Um, yeah, but as you said, like you don't have a one to put in a deal, and you're basically moving out all all seconds in the trade. It that's probably a little probably more intriguing. That's kind of that's the thinking as far as in that deal, you get early bird rights on the Cork Miles has another year left on his contract so um, that's kind of on the line of you know making a little more progress there
0: now look if the Suns are willing to put in an unprotected first it opens all sorts of other doors if they're willing to put in multiple firsts then you're getting into entirely different conversations This with a team that was obviously in the Kevin Durant conversations and probably would have had to put in four firsts and three swaps so let, let's leave all that um, aside for now for now uh, I tried to build one with Chicago with Derrick Jones Jr. and Kobe White coming. I, I just couldn't find one that I really, really liked and that did enough um, for the Suns. Or, or I just didn't I didn't find one. I think there could be something there, but I didn't find it. I tried to build one with Memphis around Dylan Brooks, but I just think Dylan Brooks is probably a little better than Jay Crowder. Similar players, one's a nominally a 2, one's nominally a 4, but they're kind of similarly built both on expirings, both haven't gotten extended. I could just see that one devolving into, well, who sends a pick and how many? And then, well, could I get, could I expand it by throwing Danny Green in? And, and then it just fell apart. I thought about New Orleans. Couldn't find a good deal for New Orleans. Like, I, I thought, would they do Larry Nance for Jay Crowder? No, I, I don't think they would. Um, I just think Larry Nance fits what they need better than Jay Crowder. Here's a sneaky one for you. right, Bobby? Okay, let's go. The Milwaukee Bucks have kind of been searching for PJ Tucker 2.0 since they let PJ Tucker go. This is the this is the closest thing. I mean, we're talking about the guys who have played power forward for the Heat for the last two or three years. Um Grayson Allen for Jay Crowder.
2: Well, yeah, because then you get you get you save money on the deal when you get another year of Grayson Allen. Now, do you need another shooter to your group in um in in Phoenix? That's you know, I mean, but you could certainly move him in another deal down the road.
0: I was gonna say I don't, I don't have enough. I don't have enough there. Uh, if I'm Phoenix, I may just say, well, that's rep, that that replicates stuff I've already got. Yeah. Uh, the Bucks will look though, I bet, because the Bucks were the Bucks were sneakily kind of sniffing around Jeremy Grant in Detroit before Portland swooped in. I think they like the idea of the the switchable, switchable, switchable guys. Um, all right, can I give you my can I give you my coup de gras? Well, yeah. f- hold on, hold on. I thought about Boston. In the wake of Gallinari's injury and mm-hmm. Robert Williams' injury, just yeah. adding another guy. I thought about Gallo and Peyton Pritchard and some second-round picks. Didn't really, didn't really like it enough for either team. That's that's an interesting one. Yeah. Okay, all right, here you go. All right, Jay Crowder, Landry Shamit, Dario Saric, two unprotected Phoenix picks. Maybe another draft asset that we can debate about to Atlanta
2: John for
0: John Collins and Moe Harkless, which is almost an exact salary match. Let me sell it to you as the Hawks. I can, see the, yeah. I can hear the Hawks fans saying John Collins is way better than Jay Crowder, way younger, way better, all of that. All true. All true. John Collins has been on the trade block off and on for like four years, it seems like. Doesn't seem like they're sold on him as a fit with a rim running center like Clint Capella, and if you say, well, Clint Capella may not be part of their long, long long-term picture, John Collins is much younger, well, does he fit with a Akongu, who's not quite a rim runner necessarily like Capella, but can do lots of different stuff, including rim running? Haven't been sold on him, really. Definitely not sold on John Collins as a five, defensively. That, That ship, I think, has sailed maybe crunch time here and there, maybe some closing lineups here and there, maybe matchups, but they don't view him that way. Crowder comes in, play him next to DeAndre Hunter at the three and the four. I, 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 he's a catch and shoot option up and down. Okay. Can make the extra pass. I keep my present kind of a float, kind of a float. And if I recoup the draft, the draft assets, some of which I traded for DeJounte Murray, I feel good about restocking my sort of my, my, my bag of draft picks. And I get, you know, I, I get Crowder, I get Shamit, I get Sarge, I get some helpful players and the Suns obviously take a shot on John Collins, who then has the same sort of fit questions around DeAndre Ayton, but it's a star talent play for Phoenix. It's a bridge play to the next era of Suns basketball after Chris Paul gets old. I don't hate that trade, Bobby. I don't hate it. I floated it to a lot of people. Some people didn't like it. Some people really liked it. I like that one.
2: I don't I don't hate it either because I look at Atlanta and I'm looking like well what happens when John Collins for the third year in a row is now the third best player and now his field goal attempts are the same where like there'll be a point where there's going to be disgruntled John Collins in Atlanta here somewhere when you have the Murray and young backcourt basically kind of dominating things here I think it just kind of I think it just balances their roster out more right you yeah you lose a player like Collins but you've kind of basically, you patch up your depth with at the four when you can go um, Crowder, Sarich. You add another shooter with with um, with Landry that gives you protection with Bogdanovic, who's you know coming back from that injury here. And you, re, as you said, you recoup some of those draft picks that you lost in the San Antonio trade. So, like I, I get it. I, I get that what that thinking is there.
0: I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I think I think in the end. Unless the draft compensation were overwhelming, the Hawks would get cold feet and say, "We just this guy's three point shot. Like, do we trust it enough? Is he losing a step? He's on an expiring. Are the picks? Unless the draft compensation was overwhelming, I think Atlanta would say no. But I don't think that's a crazy trade. And that is the end of my Jay Crowder trade interlude because we have reached the Jay Crowder saturation point, Bossman ninety nine. And look. I can't wait to see what Phoenix does. They're in disarray. I can't wait to see how they handle it because I I, I don't know what the market is right now. And I'm a little pessimistic. I'm not Pessimistic is the wrong word. I'm a little, I guess, pessimistic that they're going to get a trade that maybe underwhelms the fans there. And that would make me a little nervous.
2: Yeah. And I don't think I, I would be surprised, um, you know, if there's something imminent. Like, I think this is something that could potentially go into the, you know, into the regular season. You know, I mean, I just, I see, I see that as finding, you know, waiting for the right, right trade, not just kind of, as you said, you know, they can dump them if they want to. You can which, dump by them. the way,
0: which, which isn't, the, which isn't the worst thing in the world. Like yeah, you, you wait till the regular season, maybe the Kings stink and you swoop in with Jay Crowder and draft compensation, good draft compensation, you get Harrison Barnes. Yeah. Maybe you get, jay crowder and draft compensation to get kyle kuzma if the wizards stink all those heat guys become trade eligible and on and on maybe that's not the worst thing in the world you have the depth with damian lee and akogi you got to play some guys up a position a little bit you have the depth to weather it all right that's the end that's it that's enough jay crowder bobby marks we'll, we'll come back to you for another interlude of uh of a good but not great nba player getting traded soon thank you sir
2: thanks zach All
0: right, well, we couldn't find a great home for Jay Crowder. If he wants a starting spot, if that's the demand, it's going to be tough. Some of those teams that Bobby and I talked about, the Hawks, the Cavs have some tax issues too. So let's ditch Jay Crowder and talk about what might be maybe my most interesting team in the NBA going into this season. Certainly one of the hardest to predict. I'm very excited about the New Orleans Pelicans. Andrew Lopez, how are you?
3: I'm good. I'm enjoying uh, our fake fall for a few days, and I'm sure it'll be 90 by the end of the week, but I'm going to enjoy this. And uh, Oh yeah, there's Pelicans basketball. Actual basketball on the floor now.
0: They are one of the great variance teams to me. In the league, their over-under is set in most places at 44.5, right behind the Lakers, who are at 45.5 in a lot of places. And then behind three teams, Dallas, Minnesota, and Memphis, who are about 48-49, depending on where you look. So the the Vegas people see a clear drop-off between those teams, who are basically 5-6-7 in some order in the West in terms of over-unders. Not Zach Lowe's order, to be clear, right. just over-unders. And then the Memphis Lakers uh, at 8 and nine and I think Mr. Lopez that I'm higher on the Pelicans than that. I think I would hit that over pretty hard and if you told me there was a team down in that mid 40s range that we look up in April and is it 50 wins and it's a surprise wouldn't surprise me if it were the Pelicans and that said I have reasons almost to caution myself but before we get into those I have a very important question for you.
3: Okay, let's go. You
0: were there in person at Pelicans Media Day yesterday. Okay, was, first of all, was the King Cake Baby there?
3: Uh, no. Uh, he did send his regards to you, uh, but no, he was not there.
0: You know, first. that that strikes me. I don't have a Halloween costume yet. There's got to be a way to dress up as the King Cake Baby, right? Like, that, that has to be a costume you can get. They
3: were... Uh, the King Cake Baby sent me a message and was very upset that I went to Los Angeles and didn't bring any king cake baby swag for you while i was while i was there i'll tell you this tell the king cake i did not i did not inform him of my trip
0: tell the king cake baby this since you're my king cake baby intermediary i'm afraid to talk to it in person it's not a him or her i don't know what it is uh i I don't either i attended a mardi gras themed event over the summer where king cake was served and it was delicious okay so uh was was uh what's the pelican's name the actual pelican The, the, the the pierre was pierre at media day uh, you know what? I didn't see Pierre. What the hell's Pierre up to? Okay, here's the important question. You saw him up close and personal. How'd the big fellow look? Good. Real
3: good. I know I said on NBA Today last week that he, uh, a lot of, a couple of people had told me he was in the best shape of his uh, NBA career, and it, it, it certainly looks that way. He looks, one, a lot better than he did at last media day. Um, when he was still dealing with the foot injury and not really been able to, to run or do anything on the foot as he was trying to come back. Obviously, you know, he doesn't play at all last season. But, man, he looked very good. And it was, you know, Larry Nance was joking that uh, he, had, he had seen him. He had seen him in the gym the last week. And he's like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to get some padding. To, to deal with him down there And we were like oh so you're gonna just like go walk next door To the Saints facility and get like You know some shoulder pads and He's like no 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 no. I want the police dog Full outfit Like when they're doing like police dog training He's like I need that
0: Oh like when the dog it. can bite your arm and stuff And it, you yes, don't feel that's, it He's like he needs that
3: And you know A lot of people took time to mention Hey man You see how he looks He looks pretty good like yeah,
0: he does look pretty good.
3: So, uh, I mean, when he sits down, you just see his arms and their look. I don't know how it is conditioning wise. We'll see that when throughout camp. We'll see that throughout preseason. Um, but just just physically looking at him, he looked he looked pretty pretty
0: damn good. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm reeling myself in. Look, <laughs> this is one of the weirdest teams. In the NBA, and one of the hardest to project, like when I do my five most confusing teams podcast, which is usually with Kevin Arnovitz, but he's not here anymore, so I'm going to have to find someone else to do that with. I, they're going to be on it because, on the one hand, I'm super excited about them. You look at their starting five, it's going to be CJ, Herb Jones, and Herb Jones's arms, so it's like a starting six, almost, if you count them Correct. as an extra player. B.I., Zion, and Valanciunas. On the one hand... You look at the sheer amount of offensive talent other than Herb Jones, who I think will be fine as a a fifth option, a distant fifth option on offense. Who
3: also, when I asked Willie Green yesterday, hey, remember Herb Jones last year was your guy who kind of surprised some people in training camp and we didn't really think he was going to show up, and then all of a sudden he's starting by the the first week. Who's that guy this year who's been impressing you in offseason workouts? And without missing a beat, he just said – Herb Jones.
0: You need to again. you need to dial it back, <laughs> Andrew, because you're going to make me too excited about the Pelicans with this kind of reporting and intel. I just I don't need any more Herb Jones excitement. I was I had him first team all rookie, much to the consternation of Houston Rockets fans. I don't need any more. And then uh, so that's the starting five. Like the sheer amount of offensive talent is just outrageous. And yeah. and and you want to say you and then you look. At, let's do the bench real quickly first. Alvarado, just an absolute. By the way, somebody told me – I don't remember who told me this – that Jose Alvarado actually practices, like, the hide-and-seek steals that he gets in the – that you'll see him in practice, like, miming, hiding out in the corner, and then skulking, like, in a cat burglar crouch up on some unsuspecting – so he actually – like, Ray Allen practiced the moonwalk corner three. That's a basketball skill you could see somebody practicing. I don't know that I've ever heard of someone practicing, like – A long distance thievery from behind.
3: So Jose will break that out in practices. He will break it out in pickup games. There was a, I think it was, I guess it was at Berkeley's gym where they were they were running some pickup earlier this year when he was back home in New York, where he got Trey Murphy and Trey. I don't think I'd ever seen Trey angrier on film where Trey was like, I can't believe I let myself get Grand Theft Alvaradoed. Um. He was talking about it yesterday about, all right, well, I haven't really had a chance to get Zion. I got to get Zion now. Like, this is so, – like, he works on this. He is – he he'll spring it out in practice. Like, he'll he'll do it to his teammates. He even said, look, my teammates know it's coming, so it makes it harder to do, but so I'm I, trying. This
0: same person – I can't remember who it was. It was a coach I was having dinner with in L.A. or something, an agent or something. said he thinks – other players around the league are going to copy this this year that we're going to see a couple wannabe Alvarados that are trying to do the hide and seek steal in the backcourt, which which is just as you call it, it should just be the Grand Theft Alvarado. That's all. OK, we're getting off track. I'm too excited about this team. The bench is Alvarado, Trey Murphy, Larry Nance, Jackson Hayes. Those are the four I have penned in as bench. unit. Now, obviously, you're going to see a lot of Larry Nance at at center. No Jackson yes. Hayes. That's how they closed games in the playoffs last year against the Suns It what was just a raucous playoff series. F.J. Crowder, Chris Paul getting super annoyed by Alvarado is fantastic. I don't know who the second wing player is in that backup five or the second and third if you shift Nance to the five. I just know that when it really matters, if I have C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas, and I'm worried about my offense, I want two of those guys on the floor at all times, and minimum one. Now, you can run out some bench mobs in the regular season, but with that kind of offensive talent split among four guys, you just should have one of them on the court at all times. So here's what I'm saying. The sheer amount of offensive talent, ball handling, mid-range shooting, all the Zions, post-Zion, point-Zion, transition-Zion, offensive-rebounding-Zion, and holy smokes are Zion and JV going to beat the living snot out of everybody on the offensive glass. It's just hard to imagine them being worse than like 7th or 8th in offense despite the fact yeah. that that starting 5 I just outlined has exactly one good three-point shooter in CJ McCollum. Despite the fact that that starting 5 has three guys and maybe four if you include Valanciunas post-ups who function best with the ball in their hands, which is naturally going to make for some sort of not growing pains but just sort of figuring out who has the ball when how are we using Zion is he going to be a screener is he going to be a ball handler what pick and roll combinations in either role work best Um, they're going to have to figure all of that out despite the fact that if you look at this lineup when they had BI and CJ on the floor last year almost half of their shots were mid-range shots and they made them at a crazy rate they made 50 percent of them and as a result they scored I think 119 points per 100 possessions with C.J. B.I. and Valanchunas on the floor which is like way beyond the best offense in the league and you ask yourself is that sustainable with such a mid-range heavy shooting diet without any three-point shooting on the floor and, uh, and by the way they were already fifth in uh free throws and fourth in offensive rebounding. So even though I think they'll get higher in both of those, there's only so much higher they can go. And to the, all of that, I say, Andrew Lopez, yes, they will be a top seven or eight offense because they have the big fella coming back And their one weak spot last year was they never got to the rim, and now they're going to live at the rim. I just don't see any way without injury that this team is worse than the seventh or eighth offense, which just raises the question, if they're going to go over 44 and a half, If you're going to bet on it, you're betting somehow, some way they can make this defense with a Zion Williamson, Jonas Valanciunas court, and CJ McCollum as the head of the proverbial snake, something close to league average. So start either end you want. What offense, did did anything I say strike you as wrong, interesting, or defense just how the hell is this going to work? So let's let's start with the offense because... Again, I,
3: I I agree with you. I think uh, anything outside of the top ten is a disappointment. Huge. You you're Huge expecting top.
0: They eight. could be. I, I'm. Ex- I think eighth is like the floor. Yeah. Top five is there for them now. If you start actually listing the five best offensive teams, it's a hard territory to crack. But I think they can, and maybe should be right around there. When things were a lot different last year, when C.J. McCollum ran point,
3: and for the first time, for an extended period. In his career, obviously, when he was in Portland, you know, it was game show, and rightfully so. Uh, CJ has even said that himself. He's like, when you're playing with a top 75 player of all time, you let him run the show. And then he was there for being the backup point guard. Um, Once he kind of took over, especially when they decided not to go with the Devontae-CJ starting lineup, moved Devontae Graham to the bench, things picked up. uh, CJ last year, just in his... Pelicans minutes, twenty four point three points, five point eight assists, four point five rebounds, forty nine percent shooting from the field, all would have been career highs over a full season. He shot a ridiculously high mine on twos. As you mentioned, the the, the mid ranges were just were there. Because you I mean, even even though Brandon and CJ are living in the mid range, I, so I don't you still have to figure out
0: I don't think where to go. what they did those two. Now, are they going to shoot 52, 53 percent combined? Maybe not, right. but they're good mid-range shooters on high volume. They're not going to shoot 40 percent. At, at worst, it's going to be mid to high 40s. Like that's not a that's not a fluke. What those two guys did. I'm, CJ's been cooking from there to clowning fools with step backs and one-handed floaters. Like that's their game.
3: So the thing that that really intrigues me about what they're going to do defensively. Obviously, look, you you take this. I got, I got some numbers for you, Zach Lowe. Hit you me. You ready for numbers? Hit me. Last year, the Pelicans, they obviously, they bring in CJ at the trade deadline. They played 26 games with CJ McCollum. They were 13 and 13 in those games. You throw in the two play-in games. That's 15 and 13. That is a 44-win pace. Oh, look. Hey, that's what Vegas has. But then you look at the games with CJ and Brandon Ingram, which is not a very big sample size because Brandon missed some time with some hamstrings. They were eleven and six in those seventeen games. They started one and four. They were they won 12, 10 of their last twelve in the regular season plus the play in with CJ and Brandon Ingram. You even you want to include the playoff series against the Suns, the six extra games in the total twenty three games. That's a forty six win. Pick, she,
0: CJ did not shoot it well in that series. Brandon Brandon had a not. monster Brandon shot. Brandon's incredible. Bi arrived to the playoffs, puffed out his chest, and was like, "Oh yeah, Zion's not here." I'll be the number one option, and I'm ready to do it. The one, the
3: guy going back and looking back at that playoff series, the one guy who I actually really liked more. Well, I think Brandon. Obviously, Brandon was their MVP. Was what Larry Nance did. Talked to Larry Nance yesterday, and he kind of told us he 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 let obviously he he told us the you know tell Zion that his body is a Lamborghini, and he needs to treat his body as such. You don't put cheap gas in a Lambo. Very very good insight there for Mr. Nance. But he also talked about there's a lot of lineup versatility on this team where they can do some different things. You know, he, he mentioned – or Willie Green mentioned, you know, hey, he thought about some lineups with Z at the five. Yes. I think that's going to depend on, you know, where Z is defensively when he gets back. And, but, and
0: that's going to be hard to get to, I understand, with, with JV, Nance – Hayes and, and Eurobasket MVP. Eurobasket MVP. Willie Hernan Gomez. Gomez. I mean, yes. but but it's got to be a tool in the toolbox, especially if this kid they drafted Daniels can play and people are really high on him.
3: So I was going to get to Daniels in a second, but Nance mentioned hey, there might be some lineups where Z's out there at the five and, or, or it's just me and Z out there and we're running and gunning, or it's a bench mob unit where CJ's out there running the show and, I'm the five, but Jackson's at the four and we're running. Or Trey's at the four and we're running. Or he goes, who knows? We might throw an eye up out there with me, Jackson, and Zion. Or me, JV, and Zion. And we're just going to kill you on the boards for two or three minutes. Like They can do a lot of different things. And I think Larry mentioned... He got his meniscus cleaned up last year, was still kind of dealing with that at the end of the season. He said kind of over the summer. I know it's over the summer. Everybody gets better and can jump higher and run faster over the summer. But he's like, I, I didn't realize how much it was hurting me over the last three years. As much as we talk about their starting five, I think their closing five is going to change kind of game to game. I think Larry Nance is basically going to be their five to close games, especially when you're you're in some switchy situations. One of the big adjustments they made in that Phoenix series was kind of switching the JV. Nance minutes when Aiton was killing them okay let's put him let's let's tie Nance to the Aiton minutes and let JV cook on McGee once they started to change some things
0: it it, things got a little bit better and And that and, and I mean that's my question is so so if the Zion Valanchunas twosome is just too slow and ground bound defensively and offers no rim protection you can start it and just minimize the amount of minutes it's it's placed together because right. even Hayes last year, I mean, the Hayes valanchunas front court was like this weirdo revelation for them, and Hayes can switch. My question for you is, re- regardless of alignment at at the front court positions, what what do they think of Zion? Like, is he going to be a switch guy? Is he going to be a drop on the pick and roll guy? Is he like, how can Zion not just be a complete sinkhole defensively? I think they're going. It's a lot of that's going to depend
3: on. Again, we've talked about the shape that he's in, but I think still, they still have to figure out right, where is his conditioning level, where is his defensive, how much has he been working on that. He seems to feel like he is, again, in the best shape, which means, he again, everybody's faster. Everybody can jump higher. You always feel your best at this point. I think they feel he can switch. He showed some of that off in the, the end of the 2021 season he started to get better in, in in that regard i think nance is kind of there as the protector just in case and when you go to a lineup with okay let's let's just take out jv for nance mm-hmm. you could it's a very switchy lineup. yeah with her bi
0: and and nance that's tailor made with those yeah. it's just you can't switch with cj you have to scram him out of the post or find ways around right. it but if zion can hang And if he can just hang and we saw
3: him get some on, but like there was some on ball switches where they didn't panic again. This was Stan Van Gundy's defense. This wasn't really green back in 2021. They, They let him go there a little bit. And I think if he can just, if he can hang and he can show off how he, that he's a switchable player, things can get really weird and scary at the end of games for how they can, can defend. And again, if they're top twenty, top you know, if they're in that fifteen to twenty range, I, I, I mean, I really like what they can
0: do. I'm gonna take the L. I hope, I hope David Griffin and Trajan Langdon are listening. I'm gonna take the L on the CJ McCollum trade. I was lukewarm to Luke cold, whatever, whatever, not freezing cold is like Luke cold. I'm gonna just make it. I like Luke, Luke cold. cold. That's fine.
3: I thought. I, I, I tell people we get one word a year that we get to make up in our ESPN contracts. So yeah, Luke cold. Forward.
0: I was Luke cold. I thought I don't know that. They're in a good position to give up what looked to be a lottery pick and a very good player in Josh Hart for a guy who's not going to help me on defense, who's thirty, who's going to sign a big money extension, which he just did, and kind of for what? And then then it came out. Remember the Nance part came out like twenty minutes later, and I immediately was like, yes. okay, that that's that's helpful. Then he was hurt, but he came back, and I'm like that that helpsful. And, and I. I was dead wrong. They first of all, they bet on themselves to make the playoffs and turn that lottery pick into the Bucks pick, which ended up going to Portland instead of their own pick, and they won that bet. They bet on CJ's veteran presence, they bet on his game aging well, and this extension, 2 years 64 with what's going to happen with the cap is completely fine. It's not too long, so the length isn't going to get you. I I and and yeah, they miss Josh Hart, but I think with Nance and the and the what happened to that pick is the same thing in the uh, the Adams valanchunas three-team mega trade with Memphis and Charlotte—a yeah. trade that I I liked at the time and defended when uh, when I defended for both teams, frankly—and um, and that worked out even better because the Lakers pick that they sent they ended up keeping and drafting Dyson Daniels. They like they won all these bets, so I'm taking the L on the CJ trade. It was a good trade, and uh, that, uh, I was wrong. Bobby
3: Marks Bobby Marks just put out the CJ numbers, by the way, and it is a declining on the extension, so it's thirty-three-three. Uh, in the first year of the extension, uh, thirty point seven in the second year. So not only did you get him at a no a lower number than what he's at now, oh. it is declining into uh, for the two years of that deal.
0: Um, and the other thing is, you know, it, it seems like with the, Zion back, okay. This they just they made one big trade. The Durant thing is is gone. Doesn't look like they were really in the Durant thing once they took Ingram off the table. Which frankly, I thought they kind of should have been a little more adventurous there, but that's neither here nor there. It sure. it, it feels kind of st- steady and yet you look at all the picks they still have. You look at the salaries that are expendable. Like they can get to 20 million in like basically out of the rotation and short-term salary in Devontae Graham and Jackson Hayes or whoever very easily. Yep. They have the ability to go out and upgrade their team and they've been flirting with Miles Turner for like 4 years. And he's. I feel like a lot of people have been flirting with Miles Turner for four years. Yeah, it, he he's yeah, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, and um, and he solves this a theoretical problem of the Zion Jonas Valanciunas. Um, you know, Jonas doesn't shoot threes or, or defend the rim coil and oh, Those are what Miles Turner does. I think he's overrated as a three point shooter. Um, obviously, they're just going to let this team marinate and see what it is. Yes. But you, you do you think? Do you think they still care about that? I mean, there aren't many miles turners, but do you think they still care about Zion has to be surrounded by that kind of three and shot blocking center? Is that still a, like an organizational priority for them?
3: No. And I think JV even kind of knows, look, I'm, I'm not going to be able to spend my entire life on the block. And we started to see that last season as his, his volume of three point shooting went up. Right. Um, and, You know, he was, he was, what, he shot, he shot it twice a game last year, shot 36% from three. Um, You know, he was, remember he remember that, there was like that that two-week stretch in December where he was like statistically the best three-point shooter in the league by percentage. Just, he was insane. Dirk Dirk Valanciunas. Yeah, he was going, that Clippers game when they were, they were running pin-down screens for Jonas Valanciunas. I never thought that was a sentence I would say in my entire life, but he understands, look, I'm not going to be able to, to live down there on the block, we are going to be able to pound teams on the offensive glass. We're not going to you know, we're, – we're going to be one of the best rebounding teams in the league, which they have consistently been um, since high was drafted, whether or not he has been playing or not. But I think they're going to – they want to see where the pieces are first before they start to look at what moves they can make. Uh, to your point, like you can get to – what the uh, Jackson and, and Devonte get you to about 16, 17 rather quickly, you have some other things you can throw in on, on the back end to, to get you to a higher number. You know if if somebody who was on an expiring was available, I could see them very much being in that market considering, okay, you do have CJ now and Brandon and Zion's extension is coming. Herb Jones' extension is going to come very, very soon. JV's money. So you, you're starting to, to kind of rack up contracts there. So if they saw something, but I do think if they saw something, they'd do it. But I do think they're going to try to play this out. Look, let's see what Z looks like next to JV in this offense. You know, as much as we talked about all these, these different, you know, all those win pace numbers I was throwing out and where the Vegas where the number is, I'm with you. I think it's over 44.5, but it still wouldn't surprise me if this team starts five and eight, six and 10, just as they're trying to figure. It's also not a great, it's it's a, it's a harder schedule to start, but as they are trying to figure out how all these things work, Zion had a, had a great quote yesterday. He's like, he's, he's talking to CJ and BI about, Hey, like, all right, who's going to start off? Like we all can't be passive in the, in the start of a game and try to figure out the lay of the land and do all this. He's like, one of us is going to have to come out and be aggressive every night. And then, okay, if that guy gets going, then we move on from there. So,
0: Well, yeah, that's that's the point that I brought up earlier about everyone wants yeah. it, is operated with the ball their whole life. There, There's no sort of natural, not to compare these two conglomerates of players, there's no natural Chris Bosh or Kevin Love among C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram, and Zion Williamson. And I just don't really care. It's not worrying. I think their offense is going to be amazing regardless because it just— first of all, they can run. I mean, Zion is a monster in transition and can amp those... CJ and B.I. want to cook in the half court. They can kind of be like how the Bulls were last year where they can run and then settle into a half court and let the the, the half court guys like DeRozan in Chicago or whatever cook. And they can just feel it out. Like if Zion's bringing the ball up, and he sees CJ on the wing dribble handoff let's go like like or or or, or you know CJ can screen for Zion inverted pick and roll let's yep. go if Zion has a mismatch throw the, to him on the block the JJ
3: Redick played it they love so much for for Zion and JJ that yeah, I think it was one of their highest pure point uh you know uh, points per play plays that they ran yeah
0: I mean what looks uh, like what looks like a, what looks like a one ball there's only one ball what looks like a one ball problem to some people to me just looks like an opportunity to be unpredictable and um, and just really hard to guard with lots of optionality and yeah maybe it will take a little time but that that does not worry me at all I think their offense is going to be monstrously good it just all comes down to the defense for me and look I like they're high on Daniels I loved what Trey I was Mur-
3: going to say let's let's talk about t- Dyson Daniels and second.
0: I loved what t- before that I mean I loved what Trey Murphy did last year I think he's going to be a good player but tell me about Daniels who's this sort of point forward tall good defensive player good passer they're they're excited about it. like does he have a shot to get minutes?
3: You, when you were listing out the rotation earlier, I th- I do think they run ten guys, and I think to start that that tenth guy is Devontae Graham, and I think it's Jose Devonte, Trey, Jax, Nance, maybe Hernan Gomez gets some minutes at times if if you know you're going to play Nance at the four and. Maybe yeah,
0: I'm not psyched about I'm not psyched about the double tiny lineup of Jose and right. Devonte Graham i like and, and I get why it would fit and against bench units the lack of size is not that much of a problem just put put get get the more exciting guys in and it, yeah well
3: here's the other thing maybe those two are out there with Z maybe that's a Z. maybe that's your your bench what you're gonna do I mean as you mentioned to it earlier you're gonna have somebody of CJ Brandon and Z on the floor pretty much at all times if not two of the four, including JV, and I think when it, when you are going to get down to it, Dyson is going to take somebody's spot by December. Yeah, he is, He's He's six eight. He was two hundred pounds at uh, I think it, it, at, during the draft process. He's put on a little bit. He was mentioning now. He mentioned, look, New Orleans food has really helped him with the weight. <laughs> he's starting to. Uh, to get a little bit on, but he he looks good, and I think he is, he is going to be another plus defender. I don't think he's going to obviously. I don't think. Well, I don't. I don't know. We'll see the you know a perimeter guy like Herb Jones in his rookie year. In it, it took forever to see that the first time, right? Um, where we're talking about all defensive team possibilities at the end of the season, but I think Dyson can grow into that guy. And if his shot comes along, as he's been working with Fred Vinson, as he mentioned several times I yesterday. feel like Fred
0: Vinson could turn me oh. into a good NBA jump shooter. Let's, let's do that. That should be one of your season-long projects is Fred Vincent works mm-hmm. with you, and you take 100 threes every day. And how are you day one versus day 100? I like this idea, Andrew Lopez. I, th- I think we'll pitch this. I'm sure Fred uh, Vinson think- has a lot of time to spare to just turn you into right. a good three-point shooter. Yeah, Fred Vincent, who is now working
3: with, I feel like, everybody on the team uh, w- with their shot. He mentioned Brandon, mentioned him yesterday. Uh, him and Herb are in there at 7 o'clock in the morning before uh, – oh, more, more Herb propaganda. Herb uh, does not go home, ever. We asked Herb if he had caught any fish this year. He's like, yeah, I went out one day. I didn't catch any fish. And we're like, that was like one day? Like, that was it? Larry Nance was offering to pay for vacations for Herb Jones because Herb Jones
0: would not leave – the gym and I see I, Herb Jones probably Herb Jones that's great man like go see Paris or something like go go live go live a little Herb Jones like I, I like it I like the fact that your arms are so long that you're th- that almost from three-point range you can just put the ball into the basket without without throwing it like you should be a little better three-point shooter just because of your arms but go to go see Rome go see the Coliseum go have some tapas in Barcelona go do something Quote, I don't I don't take many trips. That's that's a quote from Herb J. Take a trip, my uh, man. Take a trip. Live a little. Have CJ um, tell you where the good wines are, in, in Napa or something. Dyson, I think when
3: you're as Dyson continues to grow and you can put Dyson in some of those lineups with Herb, I think that's their kind of vision. You have two very good plus defenders on the wing. Obviously we're gonna take some time to before we see Dyson do that, but um Dyson does look like the guy who can be special and I, I, I think he takes somebody's spot by December. And again, that's that was the Lakers pick. That was a, a top ten protected pick that they were sending in to, to Memphis in that. And they get the pick. I don't think anybody thought that they were gonna have a, a lottery Lakers pick this early. And now they, they basically are adding Dyson and Zion to Everybody who played minutes last year. Yeah. The, the Lakers, and, the AD
0: trade has already yielded the number four pick, which they did, could have been DeAndre Hunter or Darius Garland, and they flipped to into uh, eight and 16 or whatever it was. And no, no. number eight? Maybe we have two top eight picks out of, out of that AD trade already. Uh, so,
3: and Jackson Hayes, Jackson Hayes was that eight pick, and Nikhil. now he may be, well, you know, and Keel was the other one. And now we'll see where, where Jackson is in this rotation because I think – You know, is he your four? Is he your backup four? And you're going four Nance, man? I mean, again, you just get into positional.
1: Well, he and, you know, uh, you can
3: do a lot of things. He
0: and even Kyra Lewis, people are still interested in them as sort of second draft guys around the league, like at the trade deadline. Or people are, other teams are monitoring them. Like, especially Kyra Lewis has been forgotten amid his knee injuries. Like, people are still intrigued by him. Look, I'll wrap by saying this. If I'm imaginary Lakers fan, Lakers! Lakers. If I'm that guy making the L and bringing the signs to the game, Lakers. And I'm like, man, we got to get into the top six. What's our path to the top six? Well, Laker. I mean, Clippers. They're awesome. Warriors, awesome. Denver, awesome. Phoenix seems a little, a little crazy right now, but we'll pencil them in S four. Dallas, Minnesota, Memphis. I know they're gonna be good. Like even if even if they slip a little bit, they're still gonna be really good. And they have the upside of of exceeding at least one of those teams that I just mentioned in the top four. Well, that's seven. Yeah. Boy, math is getting tight for my Lakers. Oh my God. Like LeBron's <laughs> at age thirty seven math's getting a little tight. We're gonna be in the play-in again. Well, at least we're seventh. We'll have home court, which means you know, we're just one of those teams slipping up away and us staying healthy away from being sixth, fifth. We're we're cool. If I'm looking in the rear view and there's one team that I'm worried about it's not Portland. It's not Sacramento. If there's one team I'm worried about, like, man, they just might be better than us, it's the Pelicans. I think the Pelicans, if they could just make this the 18th best defense, which they were last year, didn't have Zion, didn't have Zion who's been a big net negative on defense, if they could just make this 18th, 17th on defense, I think they could sniff 47, 48, 49 wins and and make a world of hurt for all those Western Conference teams trying to get out of the play-in. I think
3: when we we did our – ESPN, like, win predictions or whatever it was, or, or like, a month ago. I think I I think I think penciled them in again at 48, I think that's where I, where I landed. But I, I think I still had them seventh. I think it was just I was looking for wins. Um, I, maybe Minnesota is, is, is going to fall. But, again, going back to this was a team that played at a 44-win a pace in all of CJ's games a 46 win pace in all of CJ and Brandon's games. And then you add Brian, like Zion's got to be worth two wins, right? It's got to be worth three wins. Well, Zion four what wins. Zion
0: is worth is, you know, the injuries and the weight and the Instagram dunks have been the story of his career now. The one year he played, it's almost been for overlooked. He was an all NBA level player. I think he missed by like he was like the 16th guy. He was yes. that good, and by himself, he's he's Shaq. 80% of his shots come at the rim. He shoots 70% at the rim. You can't keep him off the line. He's a top 10 offense by himself. That's how good that guy is. And I think amid all the other hoopla and depressing stories around him, just that he walked into the league and was right away an all-NBA player, which is very rare. It took Brandon, Brandon Ingram hasn't been that high in all-NBA voting yet, right? C.J. McCollum hasn't been that high in all-NBA voting yet and never will be. He walked right in and was that good and is a top-10 offense by himself. And boy, oh boy, this is exciting. Andrew Lopez, I'm going to see you in New Orleans later this year. Uh, And I'm going to get off this podcast and Google King Cake Baby Halloween costumes. I'm going to walk around the neighborhood frightening people as the King Cake Baby. Thank you for all your hard work, uh, amazing work, and I'll see you around the block, my friend.
3: Sounds good.